0: new series, Majoring in the Minors. and walk through the twelve minor prophets of the Old Testament. Currently, we're in the book of Hosea. And so, if you would turn to Hosea, chapter 2, verse 14, by the end of today, we will be in chapter 4. And so, let's go before the Lord and ask him to bless our study and open our hearts to receive what he has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we with our hearts in that saying, yes, I will. We want to come to your word in the same way anything that you say and you ask of us, Lord, that our heart would say, yes, I will. Anything that you would speak to us this morning, that that would be our response, that we would go and do it, that we would be obedient, and that we would trust in you implicitly, Father. Lord, I pray this morning that we would have a new understanding Redeeming love. And one of the most misunderstood words of today is also one of the most sought after qualities of life. It's also the most basic need of every person. You see, without love, you can actually perish. Babies who are not held, and hugged enough, enough, will stop. the basic, like, nutrition that they need, if they're not loved, they will stop growing and they will die. Love is found, certainly within physical affection, but it's not all there is to love. Many marriages today have dissolved, fallen apart, or gone into disrepair because of a lack of love. We know that love ebbs and flows, that feeling of love ebbs and flows. It's been said that all you need is love. But if it's so fleeting, how can this be so? We're at the whim of whether we have it or we don't, aren't we? The question before us this morning is, is there a permanent love? that we can fully trust in and find ourselves in. To answer that question and to understand love, we have to go to the source of love because the world cannot even define love. You look up love and you ask for a definition from the world and it gives you a million definitions. But it's because the world When we come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. So back to our question. Is there a love that we can trust in? the love that reaches out to the unlovable. Now, having been brought to a place of desperation through a loving edge of discipline in which she would look again to him, the Lord God in redeeming love so that he would take the initiative to restore the relationship. So far in Hosea, the three children have taught us about grace and mercy of God. And as we look at the and the unfaithfulness of Gomer, we've been taught about the discipline and the holiness of God. Now today we look to Hosea, who is an imperfect representation of God, but God will use Hosea to teach us about his redeeming love. So let's read Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 14, and I want us to focus in and really learn what the redeeming love of God does and why we can trust and abide in it. Verse 14 says, Therefore, I am going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards back to her, and make the valley of Achor into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of the land of Egypt. In that day, this is the words that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they will no longer be remembered by their names. On that day, I will make a covenant for them with the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. I will shatter bows, sword, and weapons of war in the land and will enable the people to rest securely. I will take you to be my wife forever righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. On that day I will respond. This is the Lord's declaration. I will respond to the sky, and it will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil, and they will respond to out. I will sow her in the land for myself, and will have compassion on the Lord and the saints But they turned to other gods and walked raising cakes. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. I said to her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same way towards you. For the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or household idol. their God, and David, their king. They will come with awe to the Lord and to His goodness in the last days. I have seven points to go through today, so we're going to put um, ten minutes on each of them, and we're going to be here all day. I'm just kidding. I do have seven points, but we're going to go through them in, in, in a very detailed fashion, i the the point. I want us to see seven different characteristics of God's redeeming love. Or seven different things that God's redeeming love does for you each, individually, and us together. Number one, God's redeeming love woos and chases you wherever. says, therefore, I am going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. Remember, I said in the beginning that the redeeming love of God loves the unlovable. What this tells us is that you do not have to make yourself lovable for God to chase after you. He chases after you right now. Those of us that are here that know God's love, know that he had to chase us down. Those of us that don't have yet know God's love, I'm telling you, he's chasing you down. You're here this morning as a a, uh, testimony to the fact that he's chasing you down. This doesn't mean that those who feel they are unworthy of love, that's not the unlovable. It's not like, oh, nobody could ever love me. God loves the unlovable, those who are actually unlovable. You cannot make yourself worthy of his love. Israel, represented by Gomer, has gone astray and been unfaithful as a wife. Now, lawfully, her husband could put her away and have her executed and be done with her. Love. The love of God is unconditional, though. And so it is based upon his choice to love. And it's not based upon your characteristic to be lovable. It's not based upon anything else. As a matter of fact, it's purely on his choice to love you. And he loves you exactly where you are right now in life. The Lord initiates this chase, though, by saying, therefore, I am going to. Notice that that go Notice that Israel had to do nothing for this to happen. The Lord God said, I am going to. He chose. The context is that she and her partners, when she walked away, she left. She walked out. But the love of God is determined to go after. And he uses three ways to chase her and to woo her. And notice none of them dependent upon anything about her doing anything. Number one, he persuades. This word persuade means to entice. The original word is translated more literally, to lure her, or to woo her. This is a seduction of a virgin. It's a lover's attempt to entice. Spurgeon says this about it. He says this to your kind of power. I will allure her. Not I will drive her. Not even I will draw her. Or I will drag her. Or I will force her. No. I will allure her. It's a very remarkable word and it teaches us that the allurement of love surpasses all other forces. Number two. God says, I will lead her. I will lead her to the wilderness. This is a desire in which he leads her to a place where she is separate from past lovers. She is separate from everything else, and she can have entire, total, and full attention on his adventure, on his persuasion. The forty years in the desert represent the Lord's in a special way, and it was there that she loved him in return. And so God says, I will lead her to the wilderness. Why? Because it's in the wilderness that we desperately cling to God. If you feel like you are in the wilderness, it might just be because God wants you to cling to him. So just as he led her through the wilderness, it was in the wilderness So God will meet His beloved in the wilderness in the last days and lead her into the land into the glorious kingdom. And number three, God says, "I will speak tenderly to." I will speak tenderly to. Notice that He says, "I will not scold her." I will not. And it's gentle and encouraging words, such as a man would speak to his desired bride. Remember the way that you would talk to your beloved. The Lord talks to us the same way. As he adores us. Psalm 23, 6, the psalmist says, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. the days of your life. Those of you that find God's love, that respond to God's love, you find salvation. Those of you He will pursue you your entire life, you will not stand before God in judgment and say, you never came after me. Because he will pursue you all the days of your life. God's redeeming love also forgives that God's love forgives you. Totally completely. Verse 15, he says, there I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Acor into a gateway of hope. And there she will respond as she did in the days of her youth as the day she came out of the land of Egypt. The redeeming love of God forgives you for what you've done. Period. It doesn't Says, I will give her opinions back, and this indicates a forgiveness of a past wrong. The Lord says, I will make the valley of Achor into a gateway of hope. I should speak wonderful things to us when we understand what the valley of Achor is. The valley of Achor is translated, and what it means is literally the valley of trouble. city that they came to the dead to destroy. Jericho. So they did this by marching around it seven times for seven days. Shouting at it. On the day that the walls fell down, the Lord said, now go in and plunder and, and, and kill everybody and leave nothing alive. And he also said, take no plunder. Nothing is for you from this place. Joshua is that they go on and they march through this valley and they go to the city of Ai. Jericho is a fortified city surrounded by giant massive walls. In comparison, Ai is like the first little pig's house that was made out of straw. Easily knocked over. Israel said, oh, we have this. But when they went up against it, they suffered a crushing defeat. And Joshua said, I don't know what's going on. And so he sought the Lord. And the Lord said, there is sin among them. There was a man named Achan who had sinned and taken plunder from Jericho. Him and his family together, and they buried it in the sand in their tent. They disobeyed the Lord's command, and due to their heinous disobedience of their sin, Achan and his entire family were taken out of the camp, stoned and killed in that valley so every time Israel passed that valley, it was known as the valley of Achor, and it would be reminded of the trouble of sin that came from disobedience. But the Lord says now, instead of this being the valley of Achor, it will be a gateway of hope. Instead of being a symbol of defeat and sin and hopelessness, it shall become a gateway of hope. You see, that's what forgiveness does with our sin. Our same thing is this blue picture of us, that we are worthless, that we are uh, unable to, that we, we are hopeless, and that we are completely condemned. and we have hope. That's what God's redeeming love does for us. From here, she'll respond as in the day she came out of Egypt. Egypt has always been a picture of sin. The exodus always has been a picture of salvation. And so it's saying that in forgiveness, she will come out of the Who left Egypt? By comparison, they're saints. The redeeming love of God, we all need to be very much aware of this, the redeeming love of God transforms your heart completely and totally. Verse 16 says, In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, you will call me my husband. And no longer call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of Baals from her mouth, and they will no longer be remembered by their names. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the redeeming love of God transforms your heart. And in that day, the Lord declares, it doesn't say that the Lord says, it doesn't say that the Lord says this might. The Lord declares, He says, it is. she call him my Baal. That this looks different to us, right? No longer will she call him my Baal, but she will say my husband. In English, this makes no sense to us. In Hebrew, it's very different. For us, we see my husband and my Baal. Those are two different things, right? Completely different subjects. One's about an idolatrous God, and the other one is our passionate spouse, our, our, our lover. Very different words, very different meanings, right? Well, in the Hebrew, it's, one is the word ishi, the other is the word bali. Still so two different words, but they are used interchangeably for husband. And I will give you one example out of 2 Samuel 11, 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. See so the same word husband right there? Bales of idolatry, worship want a master-slave type relationship. But the Lord God wants a commitment, a relationship based on His redeeming love. And not, my friends, transforms your heart. God promises to remove the name of bales from her mouth and that they will no longer be remembered. This is a transformation of heart from the abundance of a heart and mouth. never speak the name of Baals again. It's interesting to note this. After the coming captivity, Israel has never walked in idolatry again. And I thought that was strange, but as I look back, they never walked in idolatry again. They followed the Hebrew Bible. They followed the the, uh, law of Moses completely and totally. They never again and saying you, I'm going to worship this God over here. The redeeming love of God also protects and secures you. God says, On that day, I will make a covenant for them of the wild animals, the birds of the sky, the creatures that crawl on the ground. I will shatter bow, sword, and weapons of war security The covenant is with the wild animals. The birds of the sky, the creatures, the entity between animals and people is going to be done with. Right now, to go camping in the woods, what do we got to watch out for? Everything. Snakes, spiders, tarantulas, tarantula hawks And then the bears. Oh, and you've got to watch out for deer also. If you you don't trust me, the deer are vicious animals. Look on YouTube, but deer attacks. Well, what we're still looking for, it is another promise that we find in the Bible from other prophecies made by the Lord, and that's that's that everything that went wrong in the scroll is to be made right again. The whole reason we have no security, the whole reason we have no safety, is because Everything. Look at the promise that comes. Isaiah chapter 11 it says the wolf will dwell at the lamb. Everybody else remembers that The lion and the lamb will lay down. It. It's the wolf and the lamb, guys. The wolf and the lamb. The leopard will lay down with the girl, with the calf, the young lion. 8 says, An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into the snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. I look forward to that time. You know where we live right now? In the midst of chaos, and on the brink of war. I was reading articles the other day, our on Of other world leaders is the threat of World War III, as recently as two days. Messianic prophecy. It says the wolf and the lamb will feed together, the lion will eat straw, the cattle, the serpent's food will be dust. And they will not do what is We have safety and security from the animals, but from people as well, because it says that the Lord also promises to shatter bows, sword, and weapons of war in the land, and He promises that we will no longer learn of war. The Lord says the war will cease, His people will dwell safely and rest securely from the threat of others. Isaiah chapter 2 says He will settle disputes among the nations. To provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords and the plows and their spears and the crudy knives. Nation will not take up sword against nation and they will never again train for war. Amen? That's the promise of the coming kingdom. That's the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. At the end of the uh, tribulation period when Jesus comes back in the second coming, he comes back with his church, he comes back with the bride of Christ, and then at that point everyone who's alive of the, the Jewish nation that comes and they will accept Christ as their Messiah. He will be set up as the king in the millennial reign, and they will reign in that peace. And it says that when he establishes his kingdom, there will be no end to it. That's how it will be. I look forward to that day. What a promise. God's redeeming love is also permanent, He can make a lot of promises, right? But if he's not faithful, who cares? Have you ever had somebody who promises you the world, and and when you hear it, you're just like, Yeah, right, like that's gonna happen. Like, their word has no value with you. But God has established his word because everything that he has ever said has come to pass. If you don't believe that, um, I have some old sermons that I've done on the history of the world and the prophecies that a lot. The entire ancient uh, world history itself. God's word has never failed. And so we can trust Him. In verse 19, this is what God says God says, I will take you to be my wife forever. Do you know how much is left after forever? Is that? Nothing. Because forever goes on and on and on and on. And then He says, I will take you to be my wife and wife righteous righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife and himself said my father holds us in his hands and there is no one who is able to snatch them out The Hebrew word is to betroth. And to betroth is to mark a new beginning. With all the freshness and all the newness, unmarked by patching up all the difference. You see, God is saying, I betrothed you. Again, he's not saying, let's fix what went wrong. God is saying, let's make something entirely new. God will betroth you a complete new beginning. There is no remembrance of the old. was much different than engagement today, right? We hear about people getting engaged and breaking it off all the time like it's super easy. You know, back then you had to have a writ of divorce in order to end an engagement. That's how permanent it was. It was already legally binding and it was as if you were already married. The second thing that happened in ancient days was there was a price that was paid for the privilege of betrothal. You could not get betrothed if you did not pay a dowry because if you broke it off, there had to be retribution there had to be a restitution this is where the practice of the in his righteousness, presenting their unblemished as a pure and perfect bribe. And in the original language, the idea is a just cause to indicate all facts that says charges should be cleared and they should be declared innocent without guilt. Number two, he promises to justice. Justice is literally acts of judgment metrothing himself through acts of judgment upon the world and upon flesh. He says, I will make you my wife by judging and, and taking out acts of judgment upon creation. expository dictionary of the Old Testament, it says it this way, any understanding of the word that fails to suggest all free inevitably loses some of its richness. Because love by itself becomes easily sentimentalized or universalized apart from the covenant, or the steadfastness strength. promises compassion. Amen? We can go before our great God because he's promised us compassion. It's a loving sensation. It's mercy. But the idea behind it is this. It's the picture of the womb. Compassion is the same 54 verse 6 it says, for the Lord God has called you like a wife deserted and wounded in spirit. A wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. says, I deserted you for a brief moment, but I will take you back with abundant compassion. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but I will have compassion on you with everlasting love. God is saying you will have experiential knowledge of intimacy with me as your God. I also want us to see this morning that God's redeeming love will restore entirely. You're not going to come and accept the love of God and God is only going to restore you partially. He's not going to fix you somewhat. He will restore you that means he will put you back to your pre-fall condition. That's what his love promises. Verse 21, God says, On that day I will respond. This is the Lord's declaration. I will respond to the sky, and it will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil, and they they, I will respond, declares the Lord. This is more than just saying, but declaring that he will respond, he will answer, he will give evidence, he will give testimony. He'll give testimony to the sky, the sky to the earth, to the grain, to the wine, to the fresh oil, and they will all answer and give. an answer, they will give evidence, they will give a testimony to Jezreel. Now, do you remember the name Jezreel? Completely, with blessing upon them once again. The Lord is going to plant Israel in its land, and she will grow there under His care. Not only that, but He also says, "Lo, Allah will receive compassion." That name meant no love, no compassion. But He says, "On that day." but what he's saying is in that depth, all of it will be restored again instead of you being not loved not my people. You will be loved and you are my people. Then instead of being scattered I will plant you. God promises that for us today that we can be planted in him today. I like what John Corson says in his uh, a slide for it. That's okay. The people who have been scattered in verse five of chapter one will not be scattered again in their own land, when they're going to take root, they were going to be fruitful. The people that know mercy would now know mercy. They would not think God's people. just as important. I want us to understand, I believe God wants us to understand, and I think He continues to want us to see this, that that type of redeeming love, God's redeeming love, it costs everything. On both sides of it. In chapter three, it's only five verses long, but what it is, another action sermon that Hosea has to give. Says that the Lord God said to me, Go again and show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, just as the Lord loved the Israelites, though they turned to other gods and loved brazen cakes. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. And I said to her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same way towards you. For the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without a father or household idols. And afterward, the people of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come with awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. My brothers and sisters, love is costly, and redeeming love costs everything. whole chapter, chapter 3, is an illustration of everything we just read from 14 to 23. Hosea's experience with his unfaithful wife is portrayed in Israel's rejection of the Lord. And so the recovery is portrayed through Hosea. God gives Hosea the divine command go again and show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adult child. Just as looking at this, you can know the truth of this: God's love to the Israelites have turned to other gods and love raisin cakes. My brothers and sisters in Christ, you cannot eat raisin cakes. I'm sorry. I don't know about it. Just kidding. Raisin cakes, these are, they represent various forms of feasts associated with Baal worship. What God is saying is, they turned to other gods, and they love their feasts and their festivals. Usually celebrate with a raisin cake. Now I want you to know something here. That's slightly, could miss it if we're, if we're not paying attention. it's important to pick up this principle of love that Hosea is directed by God to show home. This is free marriage advice. This is free relationship advice. This is just free advice for you that comes from the Word of God. Love is possible even in the most difficult and extreme times. But only when directed by God. What that means is it's not only if God tells me to love you, can I love you. Because God has told us to love everyone. Spirit. We display the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody thinks that the fruit of the Spirit is eight fruits. It's really one with seven characteristics. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. The rest of it is all expressions of love. We also need to understand this. Love is an someone hurts you, the loving thing to do would be to seek, to to go and seek restoration. Instead, we we say, I'm going to hold a garage because it's easier to do that than to go and seek to restore and possibly get rejected. Because if you can be rejected, Paid fifteen shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. brothers and sisters. The love that redeems costs everything. Hosea had to suffer great shame, financial cost, the risk of rejection, and the risk of failure. If you're not willing to do any of that, you're not willing to pay the price of love. And you wonder why your relationships fall apart. for you to live with me many days without any more promiscuity or loyalty to any other and I'll act the same way towards you. And this is symbolic of the, Israelite, of the Israelites going into exile. They're going to be separated from From this point on. They will never have the illicit acts and practices that they had before, but you also know what they don't have since so they will have no king or prince. They have not been a sovereign nation until 1948. But they still have no king. it says that they will be without sacrifice because <laughs> they will have no more formal religious activity because it was devoid of God and so God said, I'll take that away. They haven't had a sacrificial system. That one will be coming back until the tribulation period. It says without Bithod or idols. Now if you're really laughing um, here, is your like practices from Leviticus, you know that thought was a garment uh, or by the. Respite. That's not what this is talking about here. I thought that's what it was talking about. As I researched it, that's not what it's talking about. These are methods of divination, these are cultic objects. God says you will not have any of these cultic things. And afterwards, the people of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Ultimately, that's going to see is that they will Messiah. Now think about this. Which of the pagan gods has ever wanted the love of their followers? Which of them ever asked them to choose them? Obedience is done out of pure fear. Please see that God desires love. That God chases us with the desire to allure us. That God freely gives His redeeming love so that we can enjoy a relationship with Him. Because if we miss seeing this, we miss seeing Him and we miss. See, a complete restoration through his redeeming love is the three children named as marks of judgment and instead become the very promises of God. you know that God does that? but he takes beauty from the ashes, that sin where you fell, that sin that so easily ensnared you, that sin that defined you for so long, that God will take that and he redeems that. And sometimes he even not that. Many people started ministries. Many times God uses that sin and, and that trouble that we fell in, and what he does is he turns it and makes it beautiful, something that instead of us hiding from God in our shame, we offer it to him as our sacrifice. God's redeeming love is so powerful. It transforms our trouble and sins into doors of hope through his forgiveness that he offers it to us. Because he purchased it at an extremely great cost to himself. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that. Of Christ, you know what they call—why they call something priceless? Because there's no cost that actually equals its value. You know how you set the value of something by the price someone's willing to pay. So if God. One of the key words in the book of Hosea is the word return. And it means to turn back. And you'll see it used 22 times. The people of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. God's redeeming love pursues and chases where we forgives you no matter what. And any of you sitting here might be thinking, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. No, what God does, and he's forgiven He can forgive you for it. There is nothing you can do that's unforgivable. Did you know that Paul, before he was called, was named Saul, and he persecuted and killed Christians? Many of the disciples that followed Jesus came from Amen. <laughs> Restore all who repent and return to Him. That is the gospel message that He sent His one and only Son. Because He so loved the whole world And whoever would believe in Him will not. so much for us to go and to consider and to rejoice in Father. Father, so much for us to praise your name for. And I pray that right now, and as as we get ready to, to leave from this place, Lord, first and foremost that they have the hope and the promise of salvation. Knowing that they are secure. Lord, the love of this world is fleeting. The love of this world is always changing. But your love remains constant, true,